listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 290. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and this is my co-host, Pontus Bergmann. Hello! Hey son, hey son! <laughs> I didn't trip you up there. I put a good day in the intro. Day. Just give me your best Aussie accent there. Good day. Okay. Good day, great. mate. <laughs> good, good. So this is not the Australian Skeptics Podcast. This is the European Skeptics Podcast. Welcome back. Just a nod to Richard Saunders at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but we have no Andras. Yeah. Lost Where again. Is he? He's Where working is he? like crazy at the moment. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> People may have noticed that the release of the episodes have been a little bit erratic and uh, it's ma mainly because Vandros has been over his head with work. Uh, it's, yeah. re it's really been. So we have taken other measures from now on, temporary or permanently, we don't know, but I will to be trying to do the the edits at the, from now on for at least for the next couple of months and yeah. I, th I think I have a little bit more time to do it than he so we'll try to get this out on time it's a bit unfortunate when it gets delayed a couple of days because you, you push for things that will happen and when the episode comes out it's already there so anyway yeah, I think people exactly. understand it's yeah, not that and, easy. And like we want Andres to be happy and healthy. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, so I don't know about happy. I don't know about happy. I, I am content if he's just healthy. So <laughs> <laughs> No, I also want him to be happy. <laughs> okay, I, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> yeah, and what else is happening? Well in Germany cases are still going slightly up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what people are saying is like mostly unvaccinated people are in the in the hospitals. Which of course Like, I would like to say get vaccinated people, but I, of, of course, also know that saying this on this podcast is a bit of preaching to the choir. <laughs> right, right. And it's yeah. also a little bit more complex than that. Uh, this is a call forward from one of the news items I will talk about a little later. It's not easy, so easy always to understand why people do not get vaccinated. Yeah. But but cases are going up. It's a little bit in Sweden as well. Not too much. It's a, It's on a low level almost flat, maybe increasing a little bit. But just 20 minutes before we started recording, the Swedish authorities just announced end of restrictions as of 29th of September. So I haven't, haven't had time to digest that quite yet. Uh, I uh, hope they know what they're doing. To me, it sounds too good to be true. Maybe they're jumping the gun a bit. But we see this happening in other countries as well. Is it too early or not? I don't know. We've been waiting for it for a long time, of course. People are very eager to get back to normal. Which which restrictions do you still have in place in Sweden? Well, you know, Swedish restrictions are more recommendations. So mm. uh, the, the only real restrictions that I'm sort of aware of is that is limits on how many you can get mm. on a football match, uh, on big gatherings, etc. And mm. I think, I don't know how well they can how well they can enforce those rules it's mostly recommendations as i yeah. see it yeah and um, but it's but still people do comply to some extent so mm. it's uh, important exactly and what's also important is uh, what happened this week in skepticism <laughs> <laughs> so i would say let's just jump in into the show <laughs> let's do that 
Yeah, and this week in skepticism, I want to talk about something that is not really based in Europe, but more on a global level. When I say what it is, you will you will know why and you will probably agree with me because I want to talk about one of these days that people always know where they were and what they were doing because there was such an incision in normal life that I, for example, could tell you exactly that we were having coffee and cake with my grandpa mm -hmm. and his partner. And then my dad came home and said, turn on the radio or the TV, because I heard driving here what happened. And we did that. And we were pretty shocked. Now with that uh, prologue, <laughs> what I want to talk about is the 11th of September 2001, because that will be 20 years ago in a few days on mm -hmm. Saturday. Pontus, what were you doing? Do you remember? Yes, I do remember. Uh, I was sitting outside on the back of the house. We were living in an apartment house together with one of our neighbors. And I was uh, enjoying the sun, thinking that we, we were talking about that. It's nice out here in the weather. It's, it's early September, but it still feels like summer. And then another neighbor came and looked at us and said, so you're just sitting here oblivious that the world is ending. Something to that effect. And, and we were just looking, what? what? What is the world ending? I don't think so. And then she said something about a plane crashed into uh, World Trade Center. And I was picturing a small Cessna, a small yeah. Yeah. private plane. And I said, okay, that's bad, but is it the end of the world? And then um, she left and the neighbor and I, we went in and switched on the telly and uh, yeah. It yeah, it was. was actually the same with my dad. He came in and said like, oh, a little exercise plane crashed into the the, the mm. towers. Let's turn on the TV to make sure what happened. And when we turned on the TV, it was already at the stage where people jumped down from the t uh, towers. Mm -hmm. And what I should also add, um, some people probably already did the math. I was 11 at that time. Right. So I wasn't super old. Like I was pretty much still a child. And yeah, I was like, mom, <laughs> is it going to be war now? And, and she's like, I can't tell you. Like it was pretty much at that point of time where mm. I was like, my mom doesn't know the answer. That's odd. So mm. you can you really see what, what kind of like impact that had like all around the world. And um, of course, it doesn't, didn't really have a big impact on me if compared to people that lived in the US. I think I quickly, just very quickly want to say what happened. Of course, I won't go into detail here because most of our audience will know what happened. Um, and I'm also not the expert who should do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, 20 years ago, four coordinated attacks happened in the USA. So four commercial airliners were hijacked and were flown into different targets, mostly known as the World Trade Center tower attacks uh, in Manhattan, but they also flew it into um, the Pentagon and one plane crashed in Pennsylvania. They uh, diverted it from their goal, Washington, D.C., because they're the uh, passengers they yeah. took control back and crashed the plane pretty much yeah well it was the last plane that yeah. plane was actually delayed yeah. so uh, while it was in the air some of the passengers got information of what had happened or as much information there was and they realized we're on a suicide mission here or the guys who took over are is going to do that so there was a struggle and in the end i believe that the hijackers realized that they couldn't make it to the their target and yeah. i don't think we know if it, they were aiming for the white house or the capitol hill but what happened was that instead of when they realized they couldn't make that the hijackers actually deliberately flew the plane upside down and then straight down into the ground on a field. Yeah. 
And and I still remember that uh, like usually people only talk about the World Trade Center, but it was four planes. That's something yes. that we should keep in mind. I still remember the next day uh, we actually didn't do math class <laughs> and went outside and looked at our council house because that was how high the rubble was in in at the in Manhattan. Oh. And we were just like standing there with our necks craned and we're like, whoa, that's, 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 that's so high. That's just the rubble, yeah. Yeah, and that's just the rubble and the debris. And yeah, it's still something that really like shakes me, <laughs> I have to say. Right. And yeah, of course, that was the US and not Europe, but it had a huge influence on, influence on a global level. It even caused an economic recession. It led to a lot of different legislations. For example, how we fly today is very different to how people flew before 2001. The powers of intelligence agencies all around the world got expanded. And also what, what flourished a lot with 9-11 was conspiracy theories or con were conspiracy theories. <laughs> I still remember one that I actually got told when I was 11 or 12, and that was this wingdings thing, like this thing that you put into Microsoft Word. Do you know this one? No, I know of the font. I know wingdings, yeah. but I don't know about the conspiracy theory. So it's like you put in a supposed flight number and then you put wingdings on and then it, it shows you like a skull and two towers, uh, something like that, and a plane. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the flight number. <laughs> so, <the thing. laughs> so it's like it's, it is, a, it is a, a more like a, almost a childlike conspiracy theory of like, they knew that because the flight number is that and it shows a tower, two towers and, and a skull. And also like there are a lot of conspiracy theories, for example, that it would have been an inside job. <sighs> yeah, who, who knows what? Like, I, I really don't want to go into detail because, as I said, I'm not the expert for that. German-speaking people would uh, probably be able to read Verschwörungsmythen um, by Holm Hümmler. He's, he's going yeah. into detail there. We, we mentioned that book before, right? Yeah, we mm -hmm. did. We did. I mean, I don't want to be the person who repeats that here, but anyone who is interested, um, there are heaps of, of material out in, yeah. um, in and around the internet. <laughs> And I put a link into the show notes on how, with resources on how to debunk conspiracy theories around 9-11. Mm -hmm. But um, just to, to summarize it, it was a day that pretty much presents a cut in global history, I would say. Yes. And it was 20 years ago soon. <laughs> yeah. As we recall this, uh, yesterday on the 6th of September, we had this skeptics in the pub meeting online with uh, with the Swedish yeah. skeptics that was in English and this was the topic and uh, it was very good I must say it's been recorded and we will edit it down for you know re remove some pauses and other stuff and it will, we will put it online and I would uh, encourage people to if you want to dive into what really happened that day that's a very good place to start you can just listen to uh, Klaus and Steen the two Danish guys that have studied this for 20 years now, and they are really, really experts in not just the conspiracy theories, but also exactly what happened and when and uh, the timing of it all and the background. And also, I should say, it does have, even if they didn't get into that too much, it still has repercussions today because uh, yep. earlier, a couple of weeks ago, we know that 
America left Afghanistan with uh, in a lot of yeah. it's a big turmoil and big discussion whether that was a good thing to do and if they they made a real stupid thing or or at least e- executed it very poorly. Yeah. All of yeah, that exactly. is actually also linked to 9/11. Yeah. Yeah, so much is going back to 9/11. Uh, Afghanistan was uh, invaded by uh, the US as a direct consequence of of 9/11. Yeah. And, exactly. Um, and then you can if you want to you can go back even to the late 70s when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan and uh, how the the US actually at one point encouraged the Taliban because they were a, an opposing factor to the Soviet Union and then the Taliban got power and they uh, they didn't actually I don't think they trained al-Qaeda but they allowed al-Qaeda to to do the training uh, and you know it, it's a big big mess and it goes back decades and decades yeah and then it goes <laughs> this in itself goes back to like the second world war and this mm. goes back like you can you can really say like this is one of the little wheels of time so to say like it goes back to a lot of different things but also things that are happening today are going back to 9-11 so hmm. it's like one of these joints of, of things happening yeah. so right. hard topic hmm. but i would like to go on <laughs> with the show now yeah and um yeah is there something you want to poke the pope for pontus <laughs> Yes, I actually have said in the past a couple of times that I wanted to give him a rest until the the trials in October starts. Uh, uh, But uh, I think we have to do a poking of the Pope today because there's quite a few things that have come up, mostly around one interview that he gave. Uh, That was on 1st of September on Spanish radio and uh, quite a few things were mentioned there that has had... Um, some repercussions and frankly raised some new questions. So first of all, it was about the surgery that we know that he had in July, that Francis had in July. It was downplayed at the time, and and but was now described as uh, by Francis as quote the second time a nurse saved my life end quote. So that clearly indicates that it was much more serious than was said earlier. Turns out they removed about 30 centimeters of his bowels, uh, if I'm not uh, misinformed. So it wasn't just a minor procedure. But he is sticking with his job. He, um, When the question came about if he ever considered retiring because of his health issues, he said uh, that it never even crossed his mind. So I guess we're stuck with him for a while longer. But he's, <laughs> he's getting a bit older. We We have to remember that. And the question of his health came up again as a result of the same interview, because in this interview, the subject of Angela Merkel came up, and she's, of course, now stepping down, and he praised her for what she had done, and he also quoted her, and I quote from this interview, and Francis said, I was touched by something that Chancellor Merkel, who is one of the great figures of uh, world politics, said in Moscow last 20th of August. And she said, I hope the translation is correct. And now Francis is quoting uh, Angela Merkel. And he says that she said, (laughs) 
It is necessary to put an end to the irresponsible policy of intervening from outside and building democracy in other countries, ignoring the traditions of the peoples. End quote. End quote. Because I'm quoting somebody's quoting, so it's a bit... <laughs> but that, that's the end of Francis's quote of Angela Merkel. And then he continued in his own words, quote, concise and conclusive. I think it says a lot and everyone can interpret it as they wish. But there I felt a wisdom in hearing this woman say this, end quote. So first a reflection from me that you have heard before. This woman, why did he emphasize it, that she is a woman? Do, do you imagine if he was quoting a, a, a guy that he would said, this man said this? <laughs> Probably not. But that's, that's not the point. The point with this whole long story is that it wasn't Angela Merkel who said this in uh, Moscow on the 20th of August. It was Vladimir Putin. So the question is here, is he getting senile and he, he, he can confuses Vladimir Putin with uh, Angela Merkel? That, that's, a, that's a bit strange, I think. And another thing, uh, last thing for, for today. Um, the day after this interview... Frankie got in trouble again, and it took some time, but on Thursday the 2nd of September, the chief rabbi of Rome reacted to something that Frankie said during a general audience on 11th of August. And then Francis apparently said, quote, the Torah does not give life, end quote, referring, of course, to the first five books of the Jewish Bible. And then he went on to say, it, the Torah, does not offer the fulfillment of the premise because it is not capable of being able to fulfill it. Which is a strange way of saying it, but anyway, that's what he said. It's quoting. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Those who seek life need to look to the premise and to its fulfillment in Christ. So, convoluted way of saying that this plays into the old trope that Jews are failed Christians for not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And that is a narrative that has sometimes been used by anti-Semitic Catholics. And the Catholic Church has tried to play down this for a long time. But here we are, and I guess Frankie put his foot in it again. And that's, to some extent, who he is. He is a bit of a nightmare for the Vatican PR department. He, he likes to speak off the cuff without any script. And <laughs> uh, the Vatican often has to scramble to play down or explain after the fact what Francis really meant by a certain remark. We've heard this about homosexuality as well. It's been misinterpreted and uh, and confused a couple of times. He's not homophobic. Really, he meant it like this way. <laughs> okay, before we leave the Pope, one thing that will come up later, just a teaser. You've, we've heard about it from way back, and it's from across the pond. The sex abuse trial against the disgraced ex-cardinal Theodore McGarrick, now 91 years old, has begun in Massachusetts. And he started with pleading not guilty. And I don't think that is how it will end, but we will see later on. Yeah, stay tuned <laughs> for when Pontus pokes the Pope again. <laughs> Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. And with that said, I think we should jump to the news items. And I will start with something that's also related to what we already said in the, um, in the beginning. It's also a bit infuriating. Um, because four MET police officers were injured in an anti-vaccine protest in the UK. 
There were clashes with anti-vaccine protesters in central London and four police officers got injured. The demonstrators tried to storm the Medicines and Healthcare Products um, Regulatory Agency headquarters, what a name, <laughs> and then moved to South Kensington. Ten people got arrested. Luckily, the police was ready because of another event that that was supposed to be happening. But yeah, it's, it's still pretty jarring that um, police officers got injured in an anti-vaccine protest. I mean, police being a police officer is never safe. And I'm not saying this as an as an excuse, of course. Like no one should get hurt on their job, except for if you're like a boxer or no, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> but like no one should get hurt on on their job. But of course, it's not a risk-free job. It's it's just so almost stupid in a way if you think about the reason why these protests happening. And it's just like yeah. I don't really know even know what to say about it because no, it's, it's very just, frustrating yeah. and the people are really very irresponsible but they're also very you have one have to realize that they are very worked up in their yeah. world they are doing probably the right thing yeah and uh, it's hard for us to understand and how do you end up there but uh, but maybe this next item will give mm -hmm. us a little bit of a clue we, we now see a slowdown in the vaccinations in Europe. Uh, so after the earlier rush when vaccines became available and everybody rushed to have their, their shots, we now see that th th there's about 20 to 25% of the population remaining who are not getting vaccinated or may take a long time to get vaccinated. Several organizations in Sweden have looked into why that may be. Uh, they've made interviews, they have done research, and uh, it's just about Sweden, but I think you can generalize it quite a lot. Uh, and we do talk about anti-vaxxers a lot on this show, but it's not always just anti-vaxxers who are delaying their vaccinations. It's often more complicated than that, and I, I think we fail sometimes to recognize that many vaccine-hesitant people have other reasons not to get vaccinated and we focus maybe too much on the anti-vaxxers. So here's the results grouped into five different categories for reasons not to get vaccinated. The first is something that may lay behind a lot of the reasons that people admit to, but maybe they keep this to themselves. It's trypanophobia. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Um. <laughs> It is a phobia for sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can guess. It's the fear of needles. Oh, yeah, so, that makes so, sense. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, it's pretty common uh, up there with uh, being afraid of spiders, with claustrophobia, agoraphobia, and, and other things like that. It's an irrational fear uh, to have your body pierced with a foreign uh, object. And, and a lot of people who have this trypanophobia, they know that it is irrational, but they just can't help feeling that way. And also, I think it can be hard to admit that you're having an irrational fear and you feel a bit foolish. And so maybe you then publicly blame your hesitance on other reasons, maybe even to yourself, that you don't want to admit even to yourself that this is the reason. So the second reason that they list here is the, the fear of side effects. And so that, that can be rational, of course. There are side effects with, with vaccines, but they are so small because, I mean, like almost 100% of the side effects are minor and harmless. Yeah. But there are, of course, a small, small, small risk 
almost zero, but not entirely zero. Very small, especially compared to the risk of getting infected by, by the virus. But I think we humans are not well equipped to deal with that kind of statistical thinking. You see one risk and you are very poor in putting it into <laughs> relation with, with another risk. Well, I think if people knew statistics, no one would play the lottery, right? <laughs> right. My old uh, trope is that people are not equipped to understand it. Even people who say they understand it, they really don't. It's At least it's not intuitive to us. It is a mental exercise uh, of logic to really try to understand. It's, it's like the, trying to understand a very big number. Yeah. It is impossible, I think, for a human being to fully grasp the, the difference between one million and one billion and one trillion. Yeah. It's all this, it's just a lot of zeros yeah. and it's almost the same. I think it's also a bit like with superstition. So like mm -hmm. people are still superstitious and if they're like, oh, maybe it will happen to me. I mean, it's not likely, but it could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can sympathize. <laughs> all right. So a third reason to delay or avoid getting uh, the vaccine is an overconfidence in the immune system. You, you may say to yourself, I'm so healthy, I never get sick, I don't need a vaccine. And that's based on ignorance, because the vaccine doesn't cure anything anyway. It, it, it's not the vaccine that makes you healthy. It doesn't kill any virus. The vaccine just tells the immune system that you just referred to, I have such a good immune system. Yeah, but the vaccine just gives you the recipe for how to recognize these foreign objects or foreign particles and, and then attack them in, in the way it's supposed to. Your immune system is doing all the work, even for a vaccinated person. So people confuse that. Then you may have a poor trust in official authorities. That's often behind the vaccine hesitance. It's more prevalent, I think, in marginalized groups like people with lower education, less financial security, or maybe coming from another country. These groups often overlap as well. And if you're in that category, maybe you are more used to have to fend for yourself and you don't trust the official government and, and, and the authorities. And then as a fifth category, we have the real anti-vaxxers, the conspiracy believers, people with, with truly irrational beliefs. Because I would say that the first four categories are only partially, it, it, they are not crazy. It's not terribly irrational. They are wrong, but they are wrong for good reasons, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So what I take away from all this is that we skeptics tend to oversimplify vaccine resistance and we put all the blame on the last group, on the anti-vaxxers, the nat cases. Yeah. Uh, and, and personally, I believe, although that this data doesn't prove that, it's just my own speculation, but I think it's correct. Many tend to end up in either of these groups based on the simple fact that they are terrified of needles. And uh, perhaps they look into other reasons to justify not going near a needle, if you will. And maybe they are ashamed to admit that they have this irrational fear of, of needles. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's what our skeptics do very easily and very often is like being too overgeneralizing in a way. Yeah, yes. Yeah, they're just stupid. Yes. They're and just it's evil. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that, that's, uh, it's as we often say also as well, is I think you'll find it's more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah and exactly. that's very often true. And it's also, if, if you treat people like 
idiots, then of course they won't change. Then they will dig their heels in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dig their heels in, yeah. Right. Thank you, Pontus. That was, was a really interesting insight, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just want to recommend two cool things that people that uh, speak German can watch. And mm-hmm. that is, one is... Rizos Zerstörung Teil 2. <laughs> that is a video and um, German-speaking people know that is, I just mentioned a second part. Rizo is voicing his political opinion. So I'm just saying like, this is not a political endorsement or anything here. Mm-hmm. But in this part, he's talking about the climate crisis. And that's why it's definitely interesting to watch and then to discuss critically about it. <laughs> Maybe you should explain who this is. Um, Rizzo is a YouTuber, so he's really doing videos. <laughs> and his first part was really viral um, last year. And it's about... Zerstörung means destroying or destruction. Mm-hmm. And with the first part, he said uh, it was called Zerstörung der CDU. So this is Angela Merkel's party. And he just mentioned a lot of things that are bad about the CDU. And with this, he's just doing destruction part two <laughs> and is naming important things about the climate crisis and how, how politics should react and are reacting. Mm-hmm. That's why it's definitely an interesting watch. But I also don't want to recommend it without a grain of salt because it's politics and we're not really a political podcast. Correct. The second thing is that there will be a documentary out on Dreisat about the Rothschilds. This is the actual family that is tragically the base of so many anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. It will come out in October. That's why I can't say anything about it yet. But what I've seen about it so far um, looked really interesting and also really interested in facts and not in not not in the conspiracy theories, not exactly. in the... Yeah. So, two interesting things for German-speaking people. There you go. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, and with uh, that said, let's go over to an award we weekly give out. <laughs> Is there any award to give out, Pontus? Yes, there is. And it may sound bad when I start talking about this, but this is actually a really right award. And you wouldn't know it from the start here, but let's hear about it. There was a recent Italian study published in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute, and they looked into 200 articles concerning the four most frequent types of cancer on social media networks. So it looked into articles spread on social media about breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer and lung cancer. And they found that over 30% of the articles shared on these media contained harmful and uh, bad advice, uh, advice that could delay or even make you avoid seeking life-saving therapies. They often promoted uh, do-it-yourself, quote-unquote, cures based on sometimes on toxic products or non-effective products or unproven alternative treatments. And it's, there's no surprise here, I'm afraid. We We often see these kinds of things spreading on social media. But it gets a little bit worse because not only were almost a third of the shared items harmful, but the harmful ones also got many more shares than the others. So uh, the sound evidence-based uh, items were was on average shared 1,500 times in this study compared to 2,300 times for the harmful ones. 
So the bad advice got 53% more spread than the good ones. And that means that 30% of the number of items were, were bad, but they constituted over 40% of the total flow because they were shared more often. So, so long, uh, only bad news, right? No really right insight. Yeah. But here's the good news. As a direct result of this study, the researchers created a project called... And see if I can get this right, because this is in Italian. And <laughs> Anders, where are you? <laughs> uh, yes, when, when we need him, he's not here. So. <laughs> so I would pronounce this Comunicare il cancro. So, uh, Sounds Italian to me. <laughs> yeah, send in your <laughs> corrections on my pronunciation, but it's supposed to mean communicate about cancer. So that's what it means. And it is a website uh, dedicated to informing communicators, which is doctors, nurses, journalists, representatives of patients' associations, communication managers of health companies and pharmaceuticals and others. So try to inform the communicators from these organizations on the best way to communicate in a correct and effective way when it comes to cancer. And there's also a new university course started as a result of this uh, study, and it is at the Faculty of Medicine and Surgery of the Polytechnic University of Marche in Italy. Mm-hmm. So, and the course is called, and here we go again, <laughs> Comunicare in Oncologia, in Medicina e in Sanità, or something like that. Uh, in English, Communicating in Oncology, Medicine and Healthcare. So uh, I should stick to English, I think. <laughs> Oh, we just all learn Ital- Italian. How about that? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we will have to have some new uh, show hosts, I believe. <laughs> so we often lament the lack of good science communicators. Um, and as well as we're trying to acknowledge the few good ones out there. So this is a project I felt is something we should celebrate, really. So for fighting misinformation and disinformation about cancer... The Italian project Comunicare il Cancro and the Polytechnic University of Marche gets today's prize for being really right. Well deserved. Mm -hmm. So it's not all bad news in the world. Happy. (laughs) Happy, happy. Yeah, and that concludes our show. Um, Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. Thank you also to the listeners who stuck with us. <laughs> and thank you, Andras, for working your behind off. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And the quote today is by Louis Pasteur. And of course, you can also send in your pronunciation of that, dear French speakers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was a chemist and a physician from France. He's most known for discovering a few vaccines and the pasteurization, which is named after him. And the quote is, Science knows no country because knowledge belongs to humanity and is the torch which illuminates the world. Science is the highest personification of the nation because that nation will remain the first which carries the furthest the works of thought and intelligence. Uh, yay science is what I heard. Yeah, pretty much like yay science and <laughs> yay work together science. you drongos. <laughs> yeah, and it belongs to humanity. Yeah, exactly. And right. I think that's um, something you can also see nowadays where knowledge is shared and as it should be Mm. so without further ado we'll just say goodbye now tschüss
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. You're listening to the European... Oh, sorry, already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is European, that's true. Yeah. It's not wrong. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> Two seconds in. <laughs>